From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Many are finding that budget planning for 2021 is involving unique challenges in light of the continued uncertainty surrounding COVID-19 and its potential impact on the economy. During today's session, we'll speak with the authors of a new article, Memo to the CFO, A New Approach to 2021 Budgeting Starts Now, about how CFOs and other business leaders can best approach this new normal for budgeting and strategic planning. Ankur Agrawal is a partner in our New York office and leads our CFO practice in the Americas. Christian Gruba is a partner in our Munich office and leads our CFO practice in EMEA. Matthew Maloney is an associate partner in our New York office, and Ishan Seth is a senior partner in our New York office and the leader of our strategy and corporate finance practice across the Americas. They are joined by Stephen Sarin, an independent director on the boards of DuPont and Cosmos Energy, who was the former chief financial officer at two Fortune 500 companies, Endeavor, now a part of Marathon, and Selenese. Ishan, perhaps you could help us set the stage by offering some sense of how this unprecedented period of disruption is affecting companies' approach to budgeting and strategic planning. Thank you, Sean. The truth is it's still uh, very much early days in terms of that disruption, whether we look at the pace of the virus and how that evolves, uh, we look at vaccine development and the various efforts underway there, we look at changes in the weather, and you add on top of that uh, an upcoming election, at least here in the U.S., You've got right there a series of factors that are compounding the level of of disruption. Um, And so enormous uncertainty prevails. And we would observe that the uncertainty prevails both on the downside, but equally importantly, on the upside. And so, yes, there are uh, important things around cash flow preservation and restructuring balance sheets and stabilizing, as uh, many organizations have done over the last six months. But we think equally the upside opportunities, right, the surge in e-commerce, you know, the uptick in uh, various sectors of demand, both uh, B2B and B2C and healthcare and beyond, uh, there are real dislocations uh, that we think are quite central as we uh, enter this, this budget season. We've got a finite window, call it six weeks, eight weeks. For some organizations, it might stretch slightly longer, but it's, it's, it's weeks, not months. Uh, and the questions we asked ourselves is, what might be a handful of practical actions uh, that organizations could undertake to adopt a fundamentally uh, different and bolder and more flexible budget process for this cycle? Uh, and yes, there may be opportunities for you know, uh, multi-year transformation and systems migration and many other important priorities that you might typically think of in a budget context. But we've really taken the lens of what might be a handful of things you take on this year and put into action over the course of the next several weeks. And we'll just uh, assert here, if we might, that the playbook from previous years we do not think uh, is going to work in the same way. And those that uh, stick with the old playbook, we believe, will be uh, leaving value on the table. So that, that is very much the entry point into this conversation. Well, what specific conditions are you seeing that make sticking with the business-as-usual approach to budgeting so ill-advised? We're all you know, reading, reading what's out there, but massive dislocation on the GDP front, right? The economic impact uh, is the largest we've seen since the Second World War and indeed the Great Depression. Unemployment numbers that continue to mount, a death rate that's approaching a million. So we've all seen these statistics. But the interesting thing is, even amidst all of the uncertainty in this environment, it's quite clear that the capital markets right, and investors are hard at work sifting through relative performance. 
And so uh, really two, uh, two things that are, are, are clearly evident. First, and this is the, the, the more encouraging news, uh, almost all sectors um, are doing better from a market standpoint today than they were, you know, in April. But, but I think the, the more interesting um, observation and certainly the more important one given this budget conversation is the fact that we see massive dispersion in performance even within sectors. So whether you are at the top end, the median or the low end, the, the dispersion in performance we see is very extreme. And so our point here is that in this sort of environment, adopting a business-as-usual approach to the budget process, uh, we do not believe is the right way to go about things. Are there particular issues that companies should incorporate into their planning process and approach, especially around potential opportunities that you mentioned? Look, uh, CFOs have always played a central role uh, in adopting sort of a bifocal perspective, right? The microscope, which is, which is very much focused on near-term performance, but at the same time adopting the telescopic view, right? What, what are the impacts two, three, four, and five years out to position the company for the long term? And the reality is many of the items that are more short-term oriented continue to be critical. Extreme cash flow uncertainty, about 40% in our recent CFO survey, who reported a significant dislocation uh, in cash flows, continuing disruptions in the supply chain. We're not blind to that. But equally, we're seeing some very significant dislocations that present opportunity for the long term, right? Reinventing the future of work. Again, our recent CFO survey suggests that 74% of organizations uh, believe that they're going to keep some portion of their workforce permanently remote. What does that mean in terms of real estate footprint and activities and processes and organizational models? We talked about digital and the acceleration of digital and e-commerce uh, and different spend categories. And what are ways to turbocharge, if you will, uh, the investments to, to, to capitalize on those uh, growth vectors? And then, of course, continued uh, focus on resilience. So we do think this dual lens will be important to bear in mind, in particular in this year's budget cycle. This year has been an extremely challenging one for most businesses, even those that saw demand for their products and services rise significantly. How are CFOs looking at this year's results in creating the 2021 budgets that will help their organizations seize these potential opportunities? Sure. Look, many CFOs we're speaking with basically said some version of, you know, 2020 is a write-off. I was in a discussion last week with a CFO of a, of a major financial services company, and uh, they basically said the board and investors have given us a complete pass on 2020. So we're, we're really looking ahead at a few different pieces that are all around exit velocity. You know, we've had a lot of discussion in the last several months. Uh, probably over 100 uh, CFO uh, conversations, many even in the last 30 to 60 days. And here's a little bit of, of what we're hearing, right? Um, uh, we're hearing quite consistently, this is all about exit velocity for 2021, right? And in many ways, that's one central theme that this budget cycle should be solving for, is that exit velocity. Almost every CFO I've spoke, spoken with personally in the last few months is trying some things that are new and different, and in many cases quite disruptive even within their organization. So I think point one around exit velocity is, do you have the mechanism in place to create disproportionate funding and reallocate resources at a level of materiality that will matter? The second is where you have tailwinds even going into the fourth quarter. Are there ways to double down 
um, on those and create some near-term funding, immediate funding, if you will, to give the fourth quarter um, uh, a boost. Uh, and then finally, are you preserving option value around scenarios, right? Do you have enough dry powder to take a borrow a term from the private equity industry to be able to pivot um, and triple down as needed on those priorities? And how do we make sure that we haven't exhausted our investment capacity before the year even begins? Thanks, Ishan. Ankur, let's turn to you. How do you see the budgeting and planning playbook changing? First and foremost, it has to be scenario scenario-based which takes into account a holistic understanding of uncertainty. And when we talk about scenarios, it's not about a high case and a low case. It has to be fairly granular, especially for industries and sectors with high degree of demand uncertainty, whether it is geography or product, what kind of demand uncertainty is likely to happen and unfold. Uh, That needs to be very fairly robustly modeled and understood because that's going to be the foundation for the budgeting exercise down the road. The second is uh, rebasing the business with, with, you know, almost a zero base. But I think in many ways the crisis has presented as an opportunity to zero base many cost categories, whether it is travel or marketing, uh, even support function cost, external vendor cost. But in this time and era, I think, Really asking the hard questions around each and every assumption on spend is quite key. The third is the idea and the thought that you really need to preserve optionality and optionality for both the downside, but more importantly for the upside, uh, and hold back some resources centrally so that they can be allocated as the budgets, as the scenarios unfold next year. And this is not an arbitrary percentage, uh, but it's more about the initiatives which are linked with strategy, the projects and the, and the funds associated with the, those projects, which are then aggregated centrally and released uh, in a very transparent way, not the horse trading or the negotiation, which uh, typically is part of a budgeting process. The fourth is uh, this notion about talent as an as a, uh, important asset, which companies have but have not paid as much attention as part of the budgeting process. And we would argue uh, assigning talent and the key resources both within finance but more importantly outside finance is is quite key. And lastly, debiasing decision-making across the board. We see lots of cases of confirmation bias uh, on many companies have actually discarded all of the 2020 spend, and they're looking at 2019 as the base year, for example. We see acquisition activity also increasing in some sectors. How do you build real conviction behind some of these bold moves so that you can really implement some of these next year and really de-bias decision-making as part of your business reviews, really running them differently and using this crisis to really reimagine the way you run the business reviews because speed matters, and speed matters even more in, in crisis. So these are the five ideas on, on, on really thinking hard about the budgeting process differently. Ankur, you, you also mentioned taking a scenario approach. Can you offer some advice on how companies should prepare their scenarios and if there are any tools they could use? Yeah, we lay out a bit of what we are calling this an uncertainty cube. Uh, so it's a three-dimensional cube here on, on, on the x-axis time, 
uh, in the y-axis, you have uh, the, the financial market variable, in this case, currencies, because currencies play an important role in, in many businesses. And then scenarios, right, which are, you know, how would the demand of, of the products unfold? So in my experience in healthcare, most companies are modeling three or four scenarios based on uh, how reimbursement will unfold. It's, it's taking few of the variables and, and intelligently modeling the assumptions so that you can lay out a decision framework. Scenario is ultimately a decision framework uh, that allows you to then budget cost and expenses aligned with that uh, al- aligned with that scenario. Christian, uh, what are you seeing in your clients? Yeah, so I think um, scenario planning is for sure picking up. What I also observe is that many of our clients and organizations are now using digital tools in order to speed up the full calculation of all the assumptions to top and bottom line. And I think there are some good tools out there where you can actually do the simulation of your entire P&L balance sheet, cash flow, after company valuation, um, and where you can very quickly and easily draw uh, or do different assumptions and also have different data cuts and visualizations. And I've seen uh, boards actually engaging on these kind of digital solutions. Um, so I think the combination of thinking through what are the real drivers and combining that with an efficient way of modeling the future is um, one of the best practices. Ankur, if I might just add a quick thought on the scenarios question. It does seem like three scenarios is, is the, you know, is the widely held practice here. But we'll often um, tell our clients to strongly consider adding a fourth. We do find that sometimes picking three scenarios means by default uh, the core planning assumption ends up being the middle scenario. So to really get the value of the full debate, often we think having some, a fourth scenario uh, could be helpful. And then the second thing um, I I just observe is what's often most valuable about the scenarios and the stress testing from it is isolating those assumptions that are common across scenarios, not so much even what the impact of an individual scenario is. I'll just use an example. When when, when Microsoft, and this is two decades ago, was doing its early planning um, around its new operating system, right? Huge amount of uncertainty on how the industry and the software sector would evolve and how that product would, would evolve. But there were two central assumptions that were common across all, all the full range of scenarios they were thinking about, right? One was that PCs would end up being on every desktop. And the second was that a graphical user interface was the way of the future. And those were the two binding assumptions in, in every scenario, regardless of how the industry may play it out. That might be the second thought here is as you're thinking about budgets and plans, what are the common elements across all scenarios that may cause you to, again, deliver outsized funding and think differently about allocation? Should you incorporate scenario planning also into compensation plans? And if yes, Ishan, how do you align those scenarios with incentives so that the team is excited about each one of the scenarios? Look, we're seeing a very wide range of practices, and I don't think anyone has cracked the code yet on uh, how incentives and targets will work in this new model. A few of the things I've seen, and I welcome others to to jump in, uh, one is we're definitely seeing uh, some movement towards corporate-level, company-wide targets and away from business unit-level incentive in the mix and the composition. I think there's a recognition that there's a huge amount of uncertainty and it's not to detract from accountability of businesses, but uh, I think a a desire to make sure that that the enterprise goals uh, hang together. Second is people absolutely still have a core 
planning assumption scenario. You may have, you know, different views of the world, but one of those needs to be central in how you're actually going to run the company, at least until you hit some trigger points um, uh, that may cause you to, to shift to, you know, uh, different, different contingencies. Um, and so in many cases, targets are being set currently at the level of, um, of, the, of the planning scenario with some upside uh, linked to, you know, whatever the most uh, optimistic uh, uh, scenario is. We're also seeing more discussion about, um, you know, what I'll call good corporate citizenship. So people thinking about incentives for businesses to come back with funding, with its spend, with investment dollars, saying, listen, we thought we were going to invest $100 million in this effort. Given the way the market has trended, we're not sure we're going to use all of it. So we, we've had some, um, actually, CEOs thinking about, how do I create the right incentive for that business unit leader to come back and do the right thing and put this back into the corporate pool for you know, better deployment in a different area? Yeah, I, the, the one other thing I would add, even in healthcare, I see a lot of emphasis also on uh, strategic initiatives and using the incentive uh, alignment and performance management process, not only on the overall aggregate goals, but also specific uh, initiatives. So in healthcare, for example, there's lots of change happening in digitization, virtual care, and uh, and uh, the organizations are galvanized and are galvanizing to sort of really work very differently. So in the, the performance evaluation processes and also then the incentives are linked to the execution against those strategic initiatives as well. Ankur, Ishan, thank you. Um, one more question about scenarios, and this one's for Steve. In your experience, how much of an annual budget should companies hold back for such things as contingencies and strategic investments? And how does the CFO actually execute this in practice when folks whose budgets may be reduced to free up resources will obviously be disappointed? You know, I, I think it's important to keep in context what it is we're trying to achieve here. You know, first, you know, your budget and planning process isn't just financial. You're really setting the goals and objectives uh, for all your, the employees across the company, both financially, uh, your ESG, talent and development, diversity, inclusion goals. And so given that this is your opportunity to do that, you want to continue to challenge the organization to set ambitious, stretch but achievable plans. So you want the teams to come forward with their ambitions and what they believe they can achieve, even if it's got risk uh, to achieving it. However, at the same time, you've got to allow for a discussion around the risk to achieving those plans. Because what you're trying to achieve are three different things. Um, first is you want to know what the specific items of risk are so that when you develop this holdback, you're holding back specific items, um, either for decisions of go, no-go, or because you believe there's too much aggressiveness built in, but you want the business to still um, go after those objectives. Second is you still challenge yourself and the businesses and the functions to stretch towards their longer-term objectives by having an open discussion about a stretch objective, but also a risk tolerance associated with it, and then adjusting for that risk, you're not disconnecting compensation or performance management from, um, from compensation. 
And, and so I think it's important to, to balance those factors and, and make sure that your base core plan continues to have that stretch but achievable concept behind it. And this isn't just for 2021. I think it's a fundamental approach uh, that helps great companies achieve great things. However, the greater the degree of uncertainty, typically the, the greater the degree of uh, the holdback or the amount of items that get specifically set aside. Thanks, Steve. That was very helpful. And, and Matt, one of the other areas um, that you discuss in the article is the importance of zero basing plans. Can you offer some pointers there? There's areas that uh, either uh, as a result of COVID you've cut because the spend is just not occurring or areas that you want to tight, tighten the belt that are kind of no regrets moves to, t- to tighten and build some of that flexibility and, uh, and optionality right, uh, later on. But there, at the same time, there are some key investments, as Ishan mentioned earlier, that, that may need to build a new capability, uh, pivot uh, your portfolio of products or services to meet new market demands and needs, e-commerce, direct-to-consumer, um, uh, new ways of, of, of servicing, say, client call centers, et cetera, that are through cycle vision. So these are ones that everyone agrees we need to do them, and they should be part of the core budget. And then the next part, these are all things that in a normal year you might want to invest in, right? These, these are things to drive the top line cost efficiencies, et cetera, right? But at the moment, these are not ones that you would likely want to go ahead with given the current outlook of the scenario, right? And as you've done the scenario planning, you'll have specific triggers that you're looking at each month to see if, in fact, um, macro scenario, the macro scenario has changed and at which point you can or should release some of those funds. But what this arrives at is a key, uh, is, is, a, is a fundamental budget that you feel uh, a lot is aligned to what your strategic objectives are. You've got your through cycle uh, investments that are needed, and you've got that sort of central powder uh, to be deployed and optionality uh, to, to run fast and exit uh, strongly as, uh, as we emerge from the crisis. So once you freed up those funds, then you still need to create a contingent resource allocation framework, right, Matt? Uh, our research shows that most companies year over year really don't reallocate resources, right? Uh, to to a, to a great extent, most for most most folks, you know, they take last year's budget and they layer on some new projects that might have a couple cost saving initiatives. But for those companies that do actually reallocate the resources year over year, they significantly outperform on total return to shareholder by typically around two x, right? And so, how does this actually work? Um, there is a corollary, an extent, to a venture capital uh, type approach where each month, as, as you review how the scenarios are unfolding, uh, is, is, the, is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What changes to be made? You can go back and review all of the plans that you had uh, articulated but not built into the budget, those contingency plans, and saying, are any of these, should these be deployed? And if they should be deployed, how much is deployed? Can you stage gate this out? Right. And those are all aligned in a, in a, in a very quick uh, way with, with the senior leadership to determine what are we going to release, why are we going to release that, and then how to track that right, each, each month. Because somewhat of the secret in here is not only to choose which projects should be getting funding and deploy, but how can you scale that up even faster if it's working right? or pull it back if it's not. And at times what that requires is to, as I mentioned, stage gate some of those investments so that it's innovative, agile way of, of, of rolling out changes 
versus a waiting for six, 12 months before a project actually delivers and, uh, and a huge upfront sort of sunk, sunk cost. Sorry, I was just going to add on the holdbacks. I, look, we recognize that many budgets, even going into 2020, are going to be materially different in case, some cases lower um, than, than previous years. So I think the concept of the 10 to 15% or the holdback or the contingency, whatever you term it, is apply it to whatever baseline funding envelope you are looking at for this cycle, right? And I, I think that belief is premised on the fact that um, the level of uncertainty is far higher and therefore confidence in individual assumptions may be lower. And it's also based on the fact that the, the, the metabolic rate of change in the marketplace it has just been much higher across industry sectors. And so this is really about preserving option value off of whatever um, uh, baseline budget or funding envelope you, you end up with for this cycle, even if that's higher or lower than last, last cycle. So how do you implement this when your organization has a culture that's not used to hearing no on budget requests. Steve, do you have any tips or tricks from your uh, personal experience as a CFO? Yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the critical things that you need to do as you go through your planning process is to encourage the businesses to bring forward all their best ideas and, and have a dialogue and maybe add some dimensions to those ideas, not just what it is, how this is the strategy, what does it cost, or what does it deliver in terms of return? But what's the what's the risk around it? And you know, what are the considerations that we need to take into account as a company that says, look, if things don't go the way we expect them to go, um, how, you know, which which one of these would you you know prioritize over others? And so you've got that dynamic nature built into the actual core details of your plan. And then I. I also encourage companies to document and capture these things in a written way so that you can come back and reevaluate and not have to reinvent the wheel every quarter when you look at performance. Got it. So from a process perspective, how do you see monthly reviews and forecasts changing as a result of this approach? Yes, there's a dimension to planning that I think requires extra emphasis, and I call it time matters. When, and it's not just quarters when you think things are going to be uh, achieved, but it's really in three areas. One is, as you go through the planning process, capturing the timing of the go, no-go decision. When does that have to occur? Whether that's on a decision to reorganize, a decision to make an investment, a decision to spend capital. And, and then second, is not only capture the timing of that, but capture the value of that um, decision, um, whether that's earnings or cash flow. And third, the purpose of this is it allows for a go no go decision to align with your your financial performance management. I'll give you a real quick practical example. In a previous um, experience, we had go no go evaluations and discussions in our planning process, and the businesses assumed go as part of the plan, which is what we wanted to happen. But what we didn't realize was that the decision not to go would have a direct and material impact on that year's earnings. It introduced what I call short-term decision bias, where well, the right long-term decision would be not to go 
but either our guidance or what we expected from cash flow or communicated to the market, you know, didn't take into account that that downside could occur if we decide not to go forward. And what can catch companies off guard is this, the, the rate of project spending relative to the size of the project, which is another bias. You can have small projects that spend a lot of money very fast versus large projects, larger dollar projects that, that have a longer ramp up. And so when you make your go no go decisions, the time dimension on when that money is going to get spent and when the money gets committed to be spent is actually very critical. To me, that's one of the biggest changes um, that needs to be focused on. Great point, Steve. Thank you. Um, how does this approach apply to the people side of resource allocation. Matt? The, the strategic plan overall is, is also encompasses the, the, the human capital side, which oftentimes is as important, if not even more important, than some of the projects, right? And, and many companies are deploying what we refer to as a, a talent-to-value approach, where you're looking uh, at what are the key areas of, of opportunities or risks, and are you deploying your human capital uh, against those appropriately? Right? And in, in most cases, uh, that requires shifting folks around. And a more traditional approach is to say people within a given function, they'll stay in that function. We need to augment uh, or change. The, the other, which is this uh, approach, is, is looking for kind of the less obvious roles and, and skills that are sometimes referred to as the all-around athlete that you can pull from uh, across from one function to another function, uh, either on a, a semi-permanent or permanent basis. It's not just having the open discussion around where are their key initiatives and, and projects that we're going to focus on in 2021, but also where the, the human capital is and having the conversation around who and which boxes and roles and people can and should be moved, how do you set them up for success, and the change story to explain to the organization why and how these folks are moving around, right? Uh, and it can create, uh, in a sense, a bit of a virtuous cycle where folks see that there, there is opportunity to move not just within their vertical, but across verticals and do exciting new, you know, mission-critical projects uh, and capture value for the, for the company. Christian, can you take us through some of the biases in budgeting and planning decision-making and how executives can best avoid them? Yeah, probably budgeting and planning is one of the most standardized ways of decision-making in many organizations uh, across the globe, um, and including, uh, to be honest, our own. Um, we observe that the frequency and the speed of decision-making have increased a lot since the beginning of the crisis. Many ad hoc decisions were needed to be solved in a very short time, um, depending on how hard the companies were hit. Some were purely focusing on cash, others were focusing on large-scale um, investments, then there's, of course, the certain tendency that you run into decision biases. Um, and just to give you a, a quick flavor of what that means, if you think of the classic group thinking or sunflower topic, it would mean that you only have one idea about how the budget should look like. So you only have one scenario if you go into 2021. Confirmation bias would mean that you favor any information that confirms your prior belief. So when we're talking to clients, uh, we have a long debate about how long will it take until we are back to some kind of new normal. Will it be 18 months? Will it be 12 months? Will it be six months? If you have a certain, let's say, hypothesis and you go into your budgeting, you might find numbers that somehow support this hypothesis even more appealing than others. 
It's also linked to inertia or anchoring. Very often, people are tending to somehow anchor their decision on one of the very first data points they, they receive. So assume that you are running for a large M&A deal uh, in the crisis. The first, let's say, indicative valuation that you put on the table is the one that sticks with your board and with your whole organization, and that's the one everybody's referring to, although the numbers and the assumptions might have changed since then. And many of us are quite risk-averse, right? So we have a tendency or we are preferring to avoid loss um, instead of taking big bets. So how can we manage that? Getting the right people is one. So open the discussion in the budgeting to subject matter experts. If you want to discuss the new go-to-market, digital go-to-market approach, find someone who is actually an expert in your organization in order to drive the budgeting discussion around that. Prioritization. Focus on what really matters in the budgeting cycle. There's no standard answer for that. Depending on your situation and the situation of your company, you might only want to focus on cash, or you might only want to focus on supply chain stability, or you might only want to focus on sales growth, or a combination of all of these. But be clear about the priorities. What we often see um, successful organizations doing is actually that they are dispatching red and blue teams, which actually means you have two types of teams that do the same planning exercise, and in the end, you compare the outcome. And by this, start a discussion about different assumptions, about different likelihoods uh, of events, and about different outcomes. Classic budgeting um, decisions around very often are focused on explaining what happened in the past. I think for the budget 2021, it needs to be more, let's say, forward-looking. Not what happened, but what needs to happen. What are the five or six or seven initiatives we want to drive in order to get our budget um, home in 2021? Thanks. Let's, let's double-click on one of the points that was made earlier in the discussion around the bias toward last year's budget. How do you lead this new process that you're talking about when the organization and business unit leaders in particular are often wedded to their prior year's budget and really don't want to see it change significantly unless it's going up. How do you get them to agree to release some of their funding? And Steve, could you offer your thoughts on that? One of the things that I find doesn't happen often is that the executive leadership team, the CEO and CEO's direct staff, generally facilitated by the CFO, but it doesn't have to be, has a very direct discussion about the planning assumptions, the planning approach, the things that are different about the way that we're going to approach it this year versus the way we have in the past, the biases that we think that we have, and and then capturing uh, those and getting aligned on those at the front end of the process, and then ensuring that the same messages get cascaded down so you don't have different biases permeating the organization. I also believe that some summation of that needs to be discussed with your board earlier in the process than later. You don't want to get to the end of the process and the board has a fundamentally different view of, of, of how you're approaching um, uncertain uh, times like this. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Christian, it looks like you've got some additional thoughts to share on how to get started in this new process. Yeah, I think, first of all, a very practical one, explain your business and your uh, board that there will be a new approach. You will not have the standard approach um, for 12 months, but you might have a different timeline. You might have a different corporate calendar. You might also need a different uh, way of output in terms of uh, what you get out of the budgeting process. You will have probably a different team, a more cross-functional team. And, of course, there needs to be kind of a mindset change, uh, as we said, 
a through cycle view. We want to have bold moves and we want to be forward looking because the past of this year will not tell us um, that much. Then, of course, develop the two or three scenarios if you have not have already. Um, think through what are basically the bold moves you want to have in these scenarios and also set up a simple driver-based model or a digital model in order to simulate the outcome of these um, scenarios. Then reimagining business from a zero-based logic, applying probably now a good um, amount of time and some SWOT teams to really think through what's going to be the cost base under the new normal, because probably the last six months are not the new normal. Contingent uh, resource management, probably the biggest shift. So um, probably you need a different governance model, a clear prioritization framework, and of course the key triggers that you want to launch or that you want to pull when uh, to release the funding. Steve, Anker, Christian, Matt, Ishan, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. It was a pleasure discussing this important topic with you all. Thank you again to our listeners as well. A transcript of this conversation will soon be made available on the Inside the Strategy Room collection page on McKinsey.com, where you may also filter, search, and listen to our previous episodes. To access McKinsey's latest thinking on the implications of COVID-19 for your business, we encourage you to visit McKinsey.com slash coronavirus. And if you'd like to share feedback with us or ideas for future podcast episodes, just email us at inside the strategy room at mckinsey.com. If you'd like to receive email alerts on our latest insights, you can sign up on the strategy and corporate finance practice page on mckinsey.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MCK strategy and connect with us on LinkedIn by searching for our McKinsey strategy and corporate finance practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the strategy room.